Uh, we're in Daniel these weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, and much of what we've seen in Daniel leads us to great hope, and some reveals some dark stuff. And I was talking with the elders before we met today, and as I think, and Pastor Stan mentioned and even prayed about the reality that there's a lot of people, even in our church, whose experience is just uh, darkness around this time. That, that during these days that are getting uh, shorter and shorter as the night becomes longer and longer, that seems to reveal a little bit of what it feels like around you. Like, like what you can see around you is not always just the joy and hope and peace that people sing about, but you also look around you and see and maybe feel darkness. And so I'm grateful that Scripture has something to say about that. I'm grateful that Scripture acknowledges that reality. And so, we're going to look today at Daniel chapter 11. And over the last couple of weeks, we've uh, been looking through Daniel. And now for this week and next week, I think we're going to see what in many ways look to be some of the darkest chapters in the book. The title for today's message is this, When it goes from bad to worse. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 10. And it's all one vision, 10, 11, and 12. And we saw this angel come to Daniel. And what we focused on last week, because what chapter 10 focused on, is what is happening up in the heavens. Recognizing that there's always more going on than we can see. And one of the realities is that there is supernatural work, a a battle in the heavenlies taking place that we often fail to see and often happening even in response to our prayers. Now today we look in chapter 11 at the content of the vision and the focus shifts to what's happening here on earth and next week we'll look at the conclusion of the vision which focuses on how things will end. Now the, this chapter is long. It's 45 verses and so if you've already been standing a while and you're thinking about your knees and your hips we're not going to stand during the entire time that I read the scripture. We will Stand for the entire time that I read the scripture, but I'm not going to read all 45 verses. The opening verses of this chapter are very similar to what we saw in Daniel chapter 8. You may remember in Daniel chapter 8, there was detailed prophecy through a vision that revealed what was going to happen over the course of the next 400 years. Daniel's time is about 536 B.C. right now. And so what we see in the opening verses of chapter 11 is a detailed prophecy of what is to come over the next 400 years. And just as we did in chapter 8, we could go back and look in detail and see God said this was going to happen and this happened. God said this was going to happen and this happened. And we can go all through these first verses But because we've done that with chapter 8 and much of of what we see in chapter 11 is referring to those same events, we're going to go through that relatively quickly. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 30. And in verse 30, we're going to be reading about this one ruler who has risen up above all the other ones. Who we saw in chapter 8 was this man reigning from 175 to 164 B.C., named Antiochus Epiphanes. He's the one who uh, would desecrate the temple and target God's people. Where things for God's people had been bad, but they would get much worse under him. We're going to start reading that in verse 30, and then we're going to notice a shift in verse 36, where all of a sudden the focus becomes on 
something even worse yet to come. Some future ruler uh, who, who doesn't seem to be fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes, but someone even still yet to come. And so the idea of this passage is this. It is that as things go from bad to worse all around us, God's people can trust that every detail is under His sovereign control and that God will deliver His people so that we stand firm and take action. So that's what we're going to see in the passage today. As we acknowledge the darkness around us and acknowledge also that we have a God whom we can trust right in the midst of all of it. So if you're able to, would you stand as we read from Daniel 11 starting in verse 30. Let's pray. God, we know that all of your word is your word, and all of your word is good, and some of it is hard. And so, God, would you help us to have minds and hearts prepared to read this today? But I know that in some ways, some hearts are prepared because they'll be able to identify quickly with things that seem bad and things that seem dark. But we acknowledge that there is hope in the midst of it. And so I pray that we would be pointed clearly to Jesus as we spend time in your word together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's God's word from Daniel chapter 11, starting in verse 30. Actually, we'll go verse 29. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before, for ships of Ketim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery, and some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the God of fortresses instead of these, a God whom his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign God. Those who acknowledge him, he shall lead, load with honor, and he shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him. But the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious land and tens of thousands shall fall. But these shall be delivered out of his hand, Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and of silver and all the precious things of Egypt and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east 
and the north shall alarm him. And he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. You can be seated. So you see what I'm saying, that as I even read that section, it can easy become easy for those of you uh, who maybe aren't all that interested in history or maybe biblical prophecy doesn't hold a lot of sway for you. You read something like this and you scratch your head. I recognize all of this is God's Word. It's God-breathed. It's useful. I'm wondering how this might be useful. I think we will see as we go through this today how it is useful. I skipped over reading verses 1 through 28 as we read through. Just a quick note on these things. There's a spot in your bulletin to take notes if that's helpful. I actually should have included verse 1 with last week's sermon. Remember when Daniel was writing this, he wasn't writing verse and chapter titles or anything like that. So actually verse 1 kind of is connected more with what we looked at last week. But it's the angel continuing to speak. But then in verses 3 through 2 through 4, we just see clearly laid out, here's what's going to come over the next couple of hundred years. Persia is going to rise up, they're going to fall to Greece, and Greece is going to be divided into four kingdoms. We went over this in detail in chapter 8. It's laid out here again in 11 verses 2 through 4. And then when we look at 5 through 20, here's what's happening. Verses 5 through 20 are a prophecy of what was to come between the years 322 B.C. and 175 B.C. And so if you're reading through this in your Bible, I encourage you to do this on your own this week. You're going to find uh, that all of these things laid out here, Daniel writing them in the 500s B.C., so a couple hundred years before they happened, he's writing these things out because God had given him a vision and he saw what was going to happen, wrote it out in detail, and it happened exactly as God said it would. So some of you are really fascinated by that kind of stuff, love history. I would encourage you to take a study Bible this week and read through, oh, this is what it says here and this is exactly what happened. If I were to take all of our time this morning to do that, it would take about an hour to go through that. And so I'm not. I put a few verses up there, verses 5 through 8, and I even had a paragraph in my notes that explained exactly how in detail this played itself out in the year 250 B.C. But I'm going to skip that. Uh, because I want to continue on and I want us not to get lost in some of these details. The details are important. Like I said, take some time on your own this week to take a look at them. But we see that things all around God's people, they're not even the focus of these verses, but God's people are somehow living in the midst of these times where bad stuff is happening, a lot of war happening around them. We're going to skip ahead, not because... You want to skip the bad news and get to the good news. We're skipping ahead through the bad news to get to worse news. And the worst news for God's people was that there was another ruler who was going to come. And again, when we went through chapter 8, we went through this in detail. A ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes was going to rule during these years, and he was going to then target God's people. So God's people for many years were kind of just 
lost in the fray of all these powerful empires clashing with each other around them until this one ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes comes. And he comes and he targets God's people. Daniel had a vision of this in Daniel chapter 8. We see it. We see it again here in Daniel chapter 11. Remember, he was the one who brought an idol into the most holy place in the temple and had that idol worshipped there. And here's what it says in verse 31 of Daniel 11. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And we could go through more of this. But this was a man who specifically rose to power and targeted God's people. Until 164 B.C., when, remember, Judas Maccabeus was raised up and led God's people in a revolt. They took back the temple, all of that stuff. So, so we saw that clearly in chapter 8. We see it again here in chapter 11. Big idea. The prophecy is that stuff is going to get bad all around God's people. And then it's going to get worse. Okay? So, uh, a lot of times you would want to hear, you know, somebody that maybe knows something about the future. Hey, if you're going through a tough time, you want somebody saying, hey, it's all going to get better soon. And the message to God's people through the prophet Daniel is actually it's going to get worse. But I think another message that I think rings true through all of this is that God can be trusted in the midst of all of it. We're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. But I want to look at these final verses of the chapter because there's more to the vision. I think everything we see up through verse 35 was fulfilled even before Jesus came. But I and most other people who, who study this can look at verses 36 to 45 and say, this hasn't happened yet. Even in our day. Daniel had a vision of this worst time yet to come. And most people would look at this and say, this, this hasn't happened yet. God is yet to fulfill this part of the prophecy. And so, the worst is yet to come. Verses 36 to 45. Daniel speaks of this king called here, this powerful figure who will be raised up. And what's he going to do? It says in verse 36, He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. He will speak astonishing things against the God of gods. And it's going to go well for him. He's going to prosper for a time. He continues in verses 37 to 39 to talk about how this future ruler is not only going to be destructive and powerful, he's going to be really persuasive. He's going to use flattery and honoring people in all sorts of ways so that people don't recognize him as an evil, powerful ruler. They'll think he might be the answer. They'll think that this evil, powerful ruler yet to come will, will be the answer to a lot of the problems around them. And so people will turn to this ruler, putting a lot of hope in a person like this. We've seen figures like this throughout history, haven't we? People who ultimately are bent on evil, but because they give people a lot of hope, people will quickly turn to them and put their hope in them. And so this future ruler will be one like that, a persuasive but destructive and powerful ruler. Verse 40 continues, and, and verse 41 tells us of some of the destruction, saying that tens of thousands shall fall. 
be a powerful ruler. Tens of thousands shall fall under him. Yet some will be delivered, and not even just people of Israel, but people here, it says, of Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites. So the people who lived around Israel, some of them would even be delivered during this time. And this ruler will go against countries. He'll become ruler of many things. And he will have great fury, it says in verse 44, to destroy and devote many to destruction. And then it ends with this. A little bit of hope in this whole chapter, and that is, yet he shall come to his end. This is not a ruler who will rule eternally but a ruler who will rule powerfully for a time, being very persuasive and devoting many to destruction, but his time will eventually come to an end. And so, again, I said the question for us would be, it seems pretty clear that all this other stuff up to verse 35 has already happened. Has all of this stuff happened, or is it still to come? It seems like this is still to come. The New Testament, too, talks of an evil, powerful ruler yet to come in the future. Okay? So if this was, again, a Bible study, we'd spend tons of time walking through all of these details. But in the New Testament, too, we are told to be alert to someone who will come yet in the future. In 1 John chapter 2, referred to as the Antichrist. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, referred to as the man of lawlessness. In the book of Revelation, referred to as the beast. But in all these different ways, someone looked ahead to here called a king in Daniel chapter 11. But some future powerful ruler who will be persuasive will cause many people to follow after him thinking he's the answer, but his work will be to devote many to destruction. But his time will have an end. Okay? Again, some of you maybe come from a background or have been personally interested in these kind of things and have done lots of study on this. But it seems that this is the same figure prophesied about in Daniel and in 1 John and 2 Thessalonians and in Revelation all the way 11 through chapter 20 is where we see the beast come in Revelation. So, if you're interested, dig deeper. And if not, there's still application for us today. Because I think we have some evidence here of what it is that God's people should do when things go from bad to worse. One thing I think, the reason that this is here, is I think this is here so that we're not surprised. I think we need to recognize that we ought not to be surprised. If you kind of live in this fairy tale world where everything's just going to kind of like get better and better, right? it's going to be kind of, you know, like rainbows and teddy bears and unicorns and stuff in the future? No. Right? Scripture tries to make it clear to us that we, we don't expect that now, I'm, now I belong to God and everything's going to kind of be smooth sailing from here on out. Instead, it's almost the opposite. Now that I belong to Him, times of trial and tribulation are going to come. It might go from bad to worse with the worst yet to come. And so... What do we do? Well, the first thing I think we do is we need to see and believe that God is sovereign over every detail. Uh, I hesitated to go so quickly over verses 1 through 35 because if we went in detail over those, 
what I think might happen for us is that we would gain confidence that God is going to do what God said he's going to do. We can trust that he's sovereign over every detail. If you look at the details of what God said through the prophet Daniel, and then what happened over the next 400 years, you would be amazed. So amazed that what some people have done is they've said, well, I don't think Daniel actually wrote it. Because he couldn't have written down in that much detail what was going to happen for the next 400 years. Nobody could do that. So I bet somebody else wrote it after all that stuff happened, and they just said they were Daniel. But there's all sorts of evidence that does show that Daniel is the one that wrote this, and God did let Daniel know, here's what's to come. Why would God do that? Why would God give Daniel that vision? Why would God inspire Daniel then to write that vision down for future generations? I think it's so that we can look back at that and say, okay, there's a whole lot of stuff that we don't have figured out, not even about like next week, let alone the next 400 years, but we know the God who is sovereign over every single detail. Do you think that's applicable for us today? I think it is. Things will get bad. Jesus said this too in Matthew chapter 24. We're going to spend some time looking at what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Here's what Jesus said, verses 6 through 10. Jesus said, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Sobering to read this. This is not just, oh, that's Old Testament doomsday prophecy. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 about what those who align themselves with Jesus can expect to come. And he tells us, I think, in part, that we might see and believe that God is sovereign over every detail. That we wouldn't look at all of that and suddenly think, oh, God has deserted me. Things have gotten from bad to worse in my life. I think God must have deserted me. No, God is sovereign over every detail. Amber's here for the first time in I don't know how many weeks. It's been a long time. You know? Three months. Because there was one week where she was not feeling great, but she didn't expect that she'd be checking into the hospital later that week and stay there for 42 days, have a life-altering experience of finding out she has leukemia. What's gotten Amber, and as I talk to Amber and Ryan as they work their way through this, here's what I see pretty clearly in their life. They believe that God is sovereign over every single detail. They're not stepping back and saying, Look at God deserted us. What is God doing? Oh, it's hard. But they know and believe and trust that God is sovereign over every single detail. We need to have that kind of faith so that we're ready to withstand the times that are to come when stuff goes from bad to worse. The other, the second of the three things that I think we see here are that God's people are called to stand firm and take action. Did you hear me read that in verse 32? In Daniel eleven thirty-two. It says, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. But, listen, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. In the midst of all of this going around, the people who know their God, what are they going to do? They're going to stand firm and take action. 
Jesus in Matthew 24 reminds the disciples at the very beginning of all of this prophecy that comes from Jesus, he tells them, see to it that no one leads you astray. There's a warning. You need to stand firm. Stuff is going to get hard. You're going to be attempted. You're going to be tempted to be swayed in one direction or the other. It's going to be easier for you if you're not aligned with Jesus. But Jesus says, see to it that no one leads you astray. Stand firm, Daniel says. Matthew 25. If, if, if you read Matthew 24, I encourage you to do that this week. Read all of Matthew 24. But don't forget that Matthew 24 is followed by Matthew 25. Because uh, I talked in our Sunday school class a little bit this morning, when we think about the sure reality of the return of Jesus and the tribulation that is to come, what we don't do is this. We don't hire the construction company in town to come and build us a big concrete bunker and go buy out Hy-Vee with all sorts of bottled water, baked beans, and canned tuna so we can just hide out and live as long as we possibly can in our concrete bunkers. Yes, times of tribulation will come for God's people, but what are we to do in the midst of it? Stand firm and take action. See, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells the parable of this master who leaves some talents with some people, and one of them, out of fear, decides not to do anything. Out of fear, he just hides it. He buries it in the ground. And when the master comes back, the master says to him, You wicked and slothful servant. Hard words to hear, but this is what Jesus says to the one who just decided to hide out in fear. I wrote it down here in my notes. You wicked and slothful servant. He tells him you should have instead invested what I gave you. Get to work is the message. Jesus is coming back. Stuff is going to get tough. Get to work. And then the third application point, I think, is this. We need to know and hold on to this hope that some will be delivered. We saw that in Daniel, in verse 41. But Jesus also makes this clear in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, Jesus promises this. Verse 13, all this bad stuff's going to happen, but listen, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And later in Matthew 24, Jesus says this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. This is the hope that we hold on to, that those who belong to Him and those who endure to the end will be saved. Now, as we've gone through these final chapters of Daniel in these weeks leading up to Christmas, it's been good for me to be forced really to to see some of the connections between what we see in Daniel and how these things are fulfilled in Jesus. Last week we went to see at the end of Matthew chapter 1 how an angel came and told Joseph there's a whole lot more going on here than you see. Remember Joseph had seen that Mary was with child and so his plan was, well I know how this happens, I'm going to quietly divorce her. 
until the angel comes and says, no, this came about because of supernatural work. She was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and this baby is going to be named Jesus, and Jesus comes to save his people from their sins. We saw that last week, and now this week I see another connection between what I'm reading here in Daniel 11 and what happens around the Christmas story, and that is this. What are we seeing happening in Daniel chapter 11? Well, an angel comes to tell of how things are going to get really bad. The result is that God's people will stand and take action. That will lead to some period of destruction and ultimately deliverance. And that reminded me of Daniel chapter 2 verses 13 and following. So, if you have a Bible, would you turn to Dan, Dan sorry, Matthew chapter 2 verses 13 to 25, which is where we'll end this morning. I think we see in this passage the same themes we see, although presented in a much different way in the book of Daniel. So, Matthew chapter 2, look at verses 13 to 25. Here's what we're going to see here. We're going to see an angel come and say, stuff is going to get bad, just like in Daniel. Yet God is obviously still sovereignly in control. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2. This is after the birth of Jesus. Verse 13 begins this way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord, the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. Why? Why, why? why get up and go to Egypt? For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. All throughout Daniel, we've seen rulers are going to rise up, bent on destruction. Herod's just another one of those rulers, rising up at the time of Jesus' birth, bent on destroying children born, male children born in Bethlehem. And the angel comes to warn Joseph about this. Verse 14, and he rose. Jesus, or Joseph stands firm and takes action. He rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. See, this had been prophesied that the son would be called up out of Egypt and How's that going to work with Jesus being born in Bethlehem? Well, it all comes about, even though it looks really bad on the surface, what Herod's about to do, all of it is happening under God's sovereign control. Jesus being taken by Joseph and Mary down to Egypt that he might come up out of Egypt. It continues, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that was ascertained from the wise men. Destruction. Verse 17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Great destruction had come. An angel told this to Joseph. But then we're told this in verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, 
Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And so we can see, can't we, how even in the midst of all of the darkness surrounding the events of Jesus' birth and the destructive power of King Herod, God had a plan that Jesus would be delivered. And so some application for us. God has a good plan that ends in victory for Jesus and all who trust in him. We need to hear this. This is good news. God has a good plan that ends in victory for Jesus and all those who trust in him. And so, for those of you who feel the darkness of this season in more ways than one, for those of you who, as you look ahead, you're not thinking, oh, 2020 is a year filled with great hope. You're looking ahead with fear. You're looking ahead with worry. You're looking ahead with anxiety. When you look around you, what you see is darkness. We need to be reminded, and I'm grateful that Scripture acknowledges this darkness. We don't have kind of this like happy pill Bible that just has inspirational sayings that look good on Christmas gifts. We have a Bible that acknowledges that in this world there is a whole lot of darkness. And Scripture also points to the hope that we have in the midst of it. Our hope is in Jesus. That for those of us who hope in Him, we can read a verse like 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We can read something like Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I think in this season, if what you're experiencing is darkness and what you see around is a lot of darkness, I think it's okay to acknowledge that and recognize that somehow against this backdrop of great darkness, the light of Christ shines all the brighter. That we have hope that the ultimate ruler of all things, which has been the theme throughout Daniel, the ultimate ruler of all things is not any ruler in the world now and not any ruler yet to come, but it is Jesus who sits on the throne. Jesus who came was laid in a manger in a humble kind of way, but Jesus laid in a manger was Jesus the King. Jesus the King who would give us glimpses of His kingdom while He lived life on this earth. Jesus the King who would die on the cross taking the punishment for our sins. Jesus the King who would be raised from the dead with victory over sin and death. Jesus who would ascend to seat be seated on the throne, and he will come from the throne, and even now he's being worshipped around the throne. This is our King. This is our Lord, and this is what gives us hope. And that's why we sing songs, even in the midst of darkness. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. That's why we sing songs like this old hymn. This is my Father's world, 
Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is King. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. This is what we're glad in. We're glad in the eternal reign of King Jesus. And that's why we're going to close by singing a song called Overcome. Because that's what He's done. We sing, Savior, worthy of honor and glory, awesome in power forever, you overcame. And the hope that we have is that we who endure with Him to the end, we who have been called by Him to Himself, will be preserved until the end, so that, as it says in Romans chapter 12, we will overcome. How? Because we're really tough and strong? Nope. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And what is our testimony? Our testimony is that Jesus is strong, that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus is the one who saves. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you give us hope, that you give us hope so clearly in your word, and I thank you too that your word does not fail to acknowledge the darkness that also exists in this world. And God, I pray for those who are walking in darkness now. The darkness seems and looks and feels dark. But God, I pray that the light of Christ would be shining brightly. That we would align ourselves. That we would turn from our our own self-worship and our own self-reliance and we would instead be people who submit ourselves gladly to the reign and rule of King Jesus, who does reign forever, knowing that only in Him will we have victory, knowing that only in Him, with the times of trial and tribulation that are to come, only by being aligned with Him will we come out victorious in the end. Thank You for the blood of the Lamb Jesus shed for us, that we might be justified, sanctified, and one day glorified forever with you. This is our hope, and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.